Namaste. So as part of our series on writings of Sri Aurobindo, today we will take up Collected Works of Sri Aurobindo, Volume 13, which is basically Essays on Philosophy and Yoga. Now I am not going into the, um, you know, uh, why this has been kept in in this way and why the previous volume was Essays Divine and Human. This is Essays in Philosophy and Yoga. But leaving that aside, uh, these are a set of essays written between 1910 to 1950. That means, um, actually, some of them have been before Sherbindo came to Pondicherry. Though it mentions 1910 to 1950. So these uh, are essays which he wrote between this period. But more importantly, they were published during Shobindo when he was, um, I don't have the right word. You know, they can write like this that during his lifetime. But for me, Shobindo is an ever-living presence. So, but well, I can say they were published before 1950. That's the simplest way. <laughs> so Shobindo could go through it again and... Uh, there are places where he has extensively corrected or added few passages, etc. Um, so we'll just quickly uh, straight away go into it. So this is in several parts, five parts. But to make it short, basically the first four parts deal with most of the writings, which are before 1920 or some odd one is 1922. The last one, the supramental manifestation is the last set of essays written by Sri Aurobindo from 1949 to 1950. And these were written for the, <coughs> the Bulletin of Sri Aurobindo International Center of Education uh, at the mother's request because uh, uh, physical education department had started and people didn't understand why in a yoga ashram where we should be basically sitting in meditation doing some kirtan and bhajan, why do we have... Uh, physical education. So they didn't understand many of the old timers, many of the traditional people. So only they would listen to Sri uh, you know, so Sri wrote a series of essays. Uh, we'll keep them separate for the next time. So today we'll take up only those which have been written, uh, part one, two, three, four. We'll just touch upon them. So part one is, um, these are wonderful essays, essays from the Karmiyogin. As we know, Karmi Yogin, Shurbindo wrote basically between August to February. It's very interesting. So during that period, he wrote in the Karmi Yogin. And these are wonderful um, essays. And uh, I don't want to delay, but uh, straight away read some of them. Yeah. So when we read, as I, was, I have always felt, when we read Shurbindo, some of the writings, it looks like he's writing today or maybe tomorrow. Because the one, the very first passage in this particular volume is written in 1909. If we read it, looks like Shrabindu is speaking today. Or as I said, maybe tomorrow or the day after. A nation is building in India today. When is it written? Even before, much before independence. And this is the time when somebody asked Shrabindu about uh, India and its independence. Shrabindu said, it's already all decided. India's independence is certain and there is a period of great revolutionary changes which are going to come. India is going to play a central role, key role in the world. And this we find here in several places. And um, amidst these revolutions, India will become free. So we know that the period between 1910 to 1950 is one of the most turbulent periods recorded in Indian history. 
So no wonder in one of the essays he says Krishna is revolution. He is the Zed guest. He is the time spirit. Krishna is not. He says we have we understand Krishna of Vrindavan, but we don't understand Krishna of Kurukshetra. So all this we find in this essay, and he starts with the very first passage: ideal, the ideal of the Karm Yogin. Karm Yogin he is referring to the paper which he has started a nation is building in india today before the eyes of the world so swiftly 1909 what was shrivindu seeing <laughs> so swiftly it's really unimaginable what was he seeing where was he seeing in 1909 he is writing so swiftly so palpably people at that point of time were just supplicating please grant us at least some little bit autonomy in taking decisions and when you read those you know uh, there is a very famous um, plenty of talks so in one of them shubhendra says what kind of a autonomy is this so called sham of a uh, autonomy when there is a pandit who gives speech for uh, conversion back to the hindu fold and uh, he is arrested so he says what kind of autonomy he didn't give a hate speech he just spoke about what hinduism is and people want to come back so what is the problem so he says this is all just a make believe a sham so he knew what is happening at that point of time fully because he was the one who was you know uh, writing all these articles at the same time he is seeing that a nation is building swiftly palpably that all can watch the process and those who have sympathy and intuition that's how he can understand distinguish the forces at work the materials in use the lines of the divine architecture this nation is not a new race raw from the workshop of nature or created by modern circumstances and we know which nation he is speaking about um, you know raw from the forces of nature place like america australia how they have come up you know uh, or created by force of circumstances one of the oldest races and greatest civilizations on this earth the most indomitable in vitality this is what we need to remember as indians we have forgotten that we just think you know spirituality is all about going to a temple sitting in quietude but this was a nation which had such stupendous vitality look at you know the karm yogin itself whom was the gita given to a man who on the tip of his uh, you know Uh, arrow could have a nuke he had a tunir which was inexhaustible who could go up to the heavens and even challenge the gods these were the great ones um, who even the rishis we have this idea of rishis who are you know all bearded sitting with dand but these were the rishis rishi agast who gave weapons celestial weapons to lord rama and not only that look at dwarka the way it was built the way even architecture when you read about the mahabharata it is just unimaginable that these were real palaces in which they were living how did they deal with when you read how yudhishthir dealt with the problem of the commoners when people came to him and they had this issues about their life how did he dealt with them so then we understand even the most uh, kalidas shrimindu speaks about kalidas when he speaks in kumar sambhav of the shringar the rasa of that so that india now lost forgotten due to mayavad and you know this idea that world is an illusion so he is reminding us that no it is the most indomitable in vitality when we look at some of these old temples the most fecund in greatness the deepest in life the most wonderful in potentiality 
after taking into itself numerous sources of strength from foreign strains of blood and other types of human civilization is now seeking to lift itself for good into an organized national unity so taking foreign strains even this was destined so that everything could be taken in and absorbed and assimilated and then he says we say to the nation it is god's will that we should be ourselves this is um, so relevant because we are not only celebrating 150th year of shri arbindo's uh, birth which is the most important but equally 75th year of india's independence so what is shri arbindo's message to india and us as indians no better place than this directly we say to the nation it is god's will that we should be ourselves and not europe we have sought to regain life by following the law of another being than our own we must return and seek the sources of life and strength within ourselves we must know our past and recover it for the purposes of our future and he has a command for us we say to the individual and especially to the young who are now arising to do india's work the world's work god's work that time he has seen individuals who are going to arise and he is saying intuition and sympathy you can know you cannot cherish these ideals till less can you fulfill them if you subject your minds to european ideas or look at life from the material standpoint this is important to understand that he is not against europe or any civilization they have the right they must follow their own law and fulfill itself but india is india it must discover its own roots and fulfill it all that he is saying is that you don't follow europe nor is asking europe to follow india or any other nation each um, country each continent must follow its own deepest impulse and then he gives the mantra materially you are nothing spiritually you are everything this is the great message of india it is only the indian who can believe everything dare everything sacrifice everything if you look into the whole history of the race i mean what sacrifices people could make sacrifice even of the highest gains of tapasya for the sake of a greater good the story of dadichi is just unimaginable that the man with so much tapasya has accumulated so much spiritual force within his very bones and he is ready to sacrifice it for the sake of the greater good because asuras have to be killed so this was the or you look at the you know we call nari as abla this is you know this is one of the worst kind of things which have been taught to women by constantly saying nari is abla nari is abla nari started believing i am abla then the next message was you need a man to be sabla and so she has been made dependent but is draupadi abla i mean <laughs> she <laughs> held five husbands and showed that the empire collapses and what an empire she and showed its collapse which was guarded by men like bhishma drona karn unimaginable but this one lady actually she was a one woman army who harnessed all the forces of that time and like kali didn't fight the battle outwardly but in short every time arjun will say do you really think panchali we should <laughs> take a fight and she'll say all right uh, don't you see my hairs aren't you reminded 
और वेन भीमा विल से बड़ा भैया इज सेंग यू नो आई मस्ट लिसन टू माई बिग ब्रदर बिकॉज ब्रदर आ ब्रदर सी वुड से येस ब्रदर इज ब्रदर बट धर्मा इज धर्मा वेर एव यू फॉर गॉट इन योर धर्मा इफ यू रीड द डायलॉग्स बिटवीन द्रौपदी एंड द ब्रदर्स एस्पेशली यू नो वेन युधिष्ठिर एंड दे आर डिस्कसिंग एंड देन शी इंटरवींस यू जस्ट वंडर दैट दिस इज वुमेनहुड ऑफ इंडिया एंड नॉट ओनली वन look at many of them i mean how they would send their husbands into war and how the um, women folk of the rishis they would sacrifice their life for the sake of uh, you know spiritual progress so she says first therefore become indians so we'll say we are already indians because we have a passport shubhendra says there are indians in european bodies and there are europeans in indian bodies and i may add there are europeans there are Uh, muslims and there are all kinds arabians all in indian bodies but there are some who are indians in indian bodies so he is saying recover your indianness what is indianness do i have to have a passport do i have to have a surname no that's not indianness he is uh, reminding ourselves recover the patrimony of your forefathers this is inheritance we have received recover the aryan thought this is something really beautiful that we receive in india every time i go abroad this something people ask how is you know how what is the difference between uh, giving a talk here and giving a talk elsewhere so you know here uh, we receive such priceless gifts which we sometimes don't even value nobody here asks okay what is surrender what is faith <laughs> we have just received it like that but uh, once you have this kind of westernized education your mind begins to you know what relief really is faith is it faith or is it belief is because that education is completely clouded our very natural state so this is the indianness recover the aryan character the aryan discipline the aryan life what is the aryan character i mean one quality which one can say is courage the other is love third is selflessness this is the aryan character nobility of temperament in this very volume it describes that so we'll keep it for that recover them not only in intellect or sentiment but in your lives it's just not uh, enough that we discuss debate and say oh i am very emotional uh, attached to india no recover it in life live them and you will be great and strong mighty invincible and fearless the aryan is fearless he is invincible because he doesn't believe in defeat he as shrivindra says in one of his writings even if the whole world were against what i am doing and didn't believe in it even if all went and smashed i would look beyond the smash to the new creation i will go on either to conquer or to perish this is the uh, stuff of which yoga is made not this ki after few years uh, what is it i don't know i don't see super mind you don't we don't see even the <laughs> what's happening inside us <laughs> super mind is too big so either i'll go on even if i am the only one to do it to believe in it that's the aryan character difficulty neither life nor death will have any terrors for you difficulty and impossibility will vanish from your vocabularies for it is in the spirit that strength is eternal and you must win back the kingdom of yourselves the inner swaraj before you can win back your outer empire there the mother dwells and she waits for worship that she may give strength now this where um, i'm just reminded of a small little incidents someone very you know it happens in houses especially when there is a daughter who is born and brought up in a family where people are devotees and then you get married 
and you go to a family where people don't want and they don't want even to keep a picture of the mother they don't want you to to see so someone someone was sharing with it and naturally tears were rolling down the cheek i said you are fortunate because now you can keep the mother sheltered in the heart and you sheltered in her because nobody can snatch away or come near her keep her in the heart worship her in the heart there are people who have it outside but don't have it inside of course ideal is both but this is a place so he is saying there the mother dwells recover her there believe in her serve her lose your will in hers your egoism in the greater ego of the country your separate selfishness in the service of humanity recover the source of all strength in yourselves and all else will be added to you social soundness intellectual preeminence political freedom the mastery of human thought the hegemony of the world so this is the power packed essay with which this volume begins then there are series of essays uh, there are two very interesting essays stead and masculine and there is uh, again on mr stead so stead and the spirit so um, in europe experiments were going on so there is this man mr stead so he is a journalist of a different kind so he is trying to experiment whether spirits communication are true or not and should be the rights about it then there is a man masculine masculine is a conjurer see this debate comes time and again so he is an illusionist he is no no there are no spirits it's all an illusion there is nothing like that or it's the subconscious mind this question people today till today people ask this and shubindu answers it so beautifully he says you have to look at it logically impartially not start with a preconceived notion and opinion if you read these two essays it's so wonderful that how beautifully it describes each phenomena and what is the truth behind it then there is an essay on yoga and hypnotism so people were very um, you know because in hypnosis you can do marvelous things like for instance you can uh, uh, not only learn new language you can relearn you can bring out of your um, inner self things which you didn't know existed i have myself seen you know hypnosis is a very fascinating phenomena so he says what is it so he described very beautifully in this essay that normally we are glued to the surface and we are governed by all the collective suggestions collective suggestions are you can do this and you cannot do this you can do this you cannot do this you are limited you are limited you are limited in 100 ways but in hypnosis what happens just like in our sleep state you withdraw from that waking mind so your mind is freed and it's freed from the strangle hold of the waking consciousness so your mind's new possibilities come up but then he makes a difference that in hypnosis you surrender your will to another will so whatever the person says you do it and i have seen people why hypnosis even subconscious mind i have seen people who are not well i mean uh, catatonic schizophrenics i have never understood hours they can keep their hand hanging in the air they don't eat they don't drink and they are so aggressively violent of course this because of the lower vital force energies we had this lady here no it's so strange she was moving around all around homeless lady no dress to change and in rain and everything god knows how she ate and what she ate but she had all the strength to take a stick and beat somebody and chase away the person so it was positioned by these forces which were using her will so why hypnosis is not good is because you uh, hypnosis tells you that there are deeper possibilities but to put yourself under hypnosis is not good because you are letting somebody else's will take hold of yours and then we don't know what that person would be on the other hand 
you have i mean i have so many stories to tell about it but you know time frame <laughs> one can fall sick i have seen all that but at the same time what does yoga do it dehypnotizes us from this and you discover the greater possibilities of your own will when it unites with the divine will so to that extent there is the uh, you know difference then there is a Uh, beautiful essay on uh, you know the greatness of the individual what is the greatness of the great and this it's a wonderful essay i'll just read a passage the greatness of this teaching is for the great which teaching gita the gita is not given is the one scripture which is unique in several respect one of them is its setting is very unique you know all of the scriptures are given in ashramas the sages are meditating even the vedic verses they meditated they gave out some lovely richard and all this <laughs> but geeta is given on the battlefield when you have when you are confronting death so geeta is unique in that ex- to you know to that extent many other unique aspects of the geeta so he is saying this this greatness of this teaching is for the great those who are commissioned to bring about mighty changes are full of the force of the zedgist zedgist is the time spirit so often we say oh this man this person it's not this man or this person napoleon was nothing without kali and the day napoleon believed that it's me he was broken and cast aside even in india this has happened there has been once upon a time a very strong prime minister very capable and yet the day one began to believe no it's me my will which i can impose and that's the time one is broken and cast aside because one has to be very humble when kali is working inside a human system and what happens when she works kali has entered into them and kali when she enters into a man cares nothing for rationality and possibility <laughs> what can happen what cannot happen that man will end up doing things which are seemingly impossible even to that person's intelligence she is the force of nature that whirls the stars in their orbits i haven't seen such powerful description of kali she is kali because kala she changes time with her feet she is the lightly as a child might swing a ball how does she whirl the stars by that power lightly as a child might swing a ball and to that force there is nothing impossible she is aghatana ghatana patiyasi very skillful in bringing about the impossible she specializes in bringing about that which human being says impossible she says yes that's what i am going to accomplish and she does it as if in a jiffy and with her intervention we read mahakali's description shubhendra says but for her that which would have taken centuries happens in a few moments she is capable of that she is the devatma shakti swagun or nirgunya the power of the divine spirit hidden in the modes of its own workings and she needs nothing but time to carry out the purpose with which she is commissioned she moves in time and the very movement fulfills itself it is not an accident that she works in one man more than in another he is chosen because he is a likely vessel and having chosen him she neither rejects him till the purpose is fulfilled nor allows him to reject her <laughs> because that's how she works why because she sees a possibility that's how she operates then there is a wonderful essay written in 1912 of course one of my favorites which is which had touched me very deeply it had come out as a booklet 
and that essay is called the yoga and its objects and though in 1922 or sometime uh, or maybe 1932 shobindo did write that it represents an early phase of the yoga because it was written in 1912 and it does not fully represent now because yoga has evolved and changed and yet this book was reprinted in 1942 and even later on 47 obviously shobindo's Uh, consent is there those who want to really understand the yoga in its simplest way and those who are grounded in the gita this is the wonderful uh, most wonderful book just reading it is so uplifting and here you find that shobindo speaks about the four aids in um, the synthesis of yoga you find it here uh, for the first time when in one page he describes that there are four aids as given in sanat sujatya so i'll just read the first passage and the last one very powerful it's a must read i feel i mean don't pass over it just because shubhendra said that you know but know that yes because 1912 what is the main difference the main difference is the mother has not come so one must understand to that extent the yoga became much more easier the yoga we practice is not for ourselves alone but for the divine this itself is so liberating its aim is to work out the will of the divine in the world to effect a spiritual transformation and to bring down a divine nature and a divine life into the mental vital and physical nature and life of humanity this perfect i mean one line is described what is the object is yoga is to Uh, hasten the divine manifestation and the divine will operating upon earth it is distorted in hundred ways within us and in the world that is the reason why the world is what it is distorted in every way it's not an illusion but it's a distortion to set right there has to be more and more people who are completely in tune with the divine will and act according to that which means no personal opinions prejudices preferences but just a complete opening wideness plasticity equanimity most important surrender that's what he emphasizes in this uh, booklet its object is not personal mukti although mukti is a necessary condition of the yoga this this line had touched me so much i used to feel all these selfish people seeking mukti salvation for themselves and the moment i read it i said thank god there is such a fresh change there is one person who says that you know mukti is not the goal i mean just look at it to say that world has been created for mukti why did you create it we were already free why we are condemned to this and then you are you know we are told come out of it why because it's an accident it's an error it's an illusion call it whatever but the illusion is very real i have seen the greatest uh, people who believe in illusions when they go to a surgeon they ask एनेस्थीसिया तो ठीक होगा इल्यूशन है भाई क्या प्रॉब्लम है इफ यू डाई यू डाई वट इज द प्रॉब्लम यू रियली बिलीव इन इल्यूशन यू शुड हैव दैट करेज टू से टू और थ्री पीपल हैव हैड लाइक दैट वन वॉज रमन महारेषि श्री रामकृष्ण परमंस कुड कम आउट ऑफ द बॉडी श्योर बिंदो वेन ही हैज ए फ्रैक्चर लाइंग लाइक द गोल्डन पुरुषा not a so people ask that you must be having pain what were you doing that time he said i was transforming pain into ananda I have done it earlier when the scorpion had bit. This it doesn't use the words when the scorpion had bit, but this was very intense. So this was an opportunity given to me. This is the spirit in which, <laughs> so transformation and not illusion. It is not personal ananda 
but the bringing down of the divine ananda of moksha we have no personal need for the soul is nitya mukt and bondage is an illusion that's the thing why we have chosen for it we have come into this world because there is a work to do we played being bound we are not really bound we can be free when god wills for he our supreme self is the master of the game and without his grace and permission no soul can leave the game so there is a very beautiful line in savitri after we have served this great divided world god's bliss and oneness are our inborn right what's the big deal he will grant when it's needed let's focus on doing god's work <coughs> it is often god's will in us now look at it such profound truth it's often it is often god's will in us to take through the mind the bhoga of ignorance of the dualities of joy and grief of pleasure and pain of virtue and sin of enjoyment and renunciation for long ages in many countries he never even thinks of the yoga but plays out this play century after century without wearing of it so there are bhograshtras bhogi bhogiyoni or yogjoni yogiyoni you are born in india so you are taught yoga right from childhood because you are bombarded with all kinds of things from every and you have to fight out right from social issues <laughs> to physical issues when you are driving on the street you cannot do without yoga you will this is not a excuse that you should have ditches but you your train will suddenly get late of course now flights are getting late america is imitating india in that sense but you have to live you cannot you know so it's a yogiyoni but when you want bhogiyoni when god says oh he is not good for anything let me give him some toys to play then you are born in you know Switzerland <laughs> i don't know what country <laughs> new zealand <laughs> or some such place that okay have enjoyment of life and then boy come for work now <laughs> come to india <laughs> we have our you know i won't take his name <laughs> yes uh, our man from france <laughs> he came and he was he started wearing dhoti and also i asked him a lot of people he has told the same thing he said how come you came here he said you know one thing i realized i have realized if you have to seek god you have to come to india there is no other way <laughs> but there is a truth in it it's come so handy it's not to be made into an absolute rule but come so handy it's just unimaginable you know uh, things which you receive but look at it that god everything that happens we go through the steps there is nothing evil in this nothing which we need condemn or from which we need shrink it is god's play the wise man is he who recognizes this truth and knowing his freedom yet plays out god's play waiting for his command to change the methods of the game so when he puts us in some place play with that but completely inwardly you should be free one should not be that's the difference you are playing a game knowing fully it's like you know i give this example when parents play ludo with their children they don't enjoy the play but they enjoy the child and the joy of the child so the moment the child says ki okay enough throws up so you don't say oh my god i was going to win that was never the issue so play the game without this idea of success failure winning these are never in the format of god these are our we have created this format this was never there the mind has created these things play the game when he seeks to change change it 
God always keeps for himself a chosen country in which the higher knowledge is through all chances and dangers by the few or the many continually preserved and for the present in this chatur yug at least the country is india so he has put the seal okay when there is the contracted movement of knowledge when god wants the contraction the knowledge in india uh, uh, the when there is a contracted movement of knowledge the yogins in india withdraw from the world and practice yoga for their own liberation and delight or for the liberation of a few disciples but when the movement of knowledge again expands and the soul of india expands with it they come forth once more and work in the world and for the world yogins like janak ajat shatru and kartavirya once more sit on the thrones of the world and govern the nations is he talking of today <laughs> then of course uh, so beautifully he the thus it's it's a longish book many many pages i don't remember but certainly about 30 40 pages and toward the end he says <clears throat> the call upon us is to grow into the image of god to dwell in him and with him and be a channel of his joy and might and an instrument of his works you know this thought came several times so i can share it you know when you look at shorbindo one of the thoughts is if at all we have to be something make us like you a miniature image and mother writes something very beautiful she says who is the divine several definitions she has given one of them is the divine is what you adore in shorbindo when you look at him you realize this is worth becoming not ye kya banega bachcha bada okay acha i'll become this engineer doctor what will you do after becoming a doctor and engineer i'll build a big house hospitals so i'll be a very dignified pickpocketer sorry <laughs> You go to a branded store, na? You are pickpocketed without realizing it. Pickpocketer, at least you know, takes advantage of your unconsciousness. This fellow is fooling you. You know it is five hundred rupees shirt which has been made in some <laughs> local place, and when you pick up branded, you know, you walk out with two thousand five hundred shirt in a nice uh, lifafa. Nowadays they charge for that also with that written on it, and you are very happy displaying, you know. <laughs> All of my shirts are given, huh? So don't <laughs> nothing. Well, branded. See, for this they ask money. <laughs> Shirt is the same. Little bit. It happens to all of us, no? In America, I picked up. I said, "This is very nice uh, fabric made in Ludhiana." <laughs> so you sometimes you pick up and then you come back and you realize are <laughs> so then you know ki they made an export quality to get more money so all this you know things go on so he says don't uh, live like that what is the call upon us purify fight from all that is ashubha transfigured in soul by his touch we have to act in the world as dynamos of that divine electricity there is a line in savitri man is a dynamo for god's work nature does most in him god the high rest so what is our only his soul's consent is his own 
Man is a dynamo for God's work. But how he prepares the dynamo, that also Savitri describes. His clay was beaten by hammers to turn into a statue of God. So here he describes purified from all this. You become dynamos of that divine electricity and send it thrilling and radiating through mankind. So that wherever one of us stands, hundreds, hundreds around may become full of his light and force. Full of God and full of Ananda. Churches, orders, theologies, philosophies have failed to save mankind. Churches, not just church, but <laughs> all the churches here stand for all these theological, you know, dogmatic, or these spaces where you... Systems. Because they busied themselves with intellectual creeds, dogmas, rites and institutions. We have become so lost in all this vratupuas. This is one of the biggest things. No? The real vrat. If you want to keep vrat, be like Bhishma and say, Okay, lifetime, that is vrat. Or a vrat like Arjuna. Till tomorrow, if I don't finish Jadrat, I will do Agnishnan. That is called vrat. This is not Vrat, one day I will not eat. Many people do it because they want to look fit. So that is, <laughs> well, so this is Vrat. But India got lost when it started, you know, weekend into all these. Uh, even the worship was done because of fear. A lot of fear came in. India was never a God-fearing place. It was a God-loving place. This is the gift of India to the world. So he says, not rites and institutions. With Achar Suddhi and Darshanas. Darshana is about philosophy. As if these could save mankind. All these, you know, Shat Darshana and, you know, all the Vedanta, Dvaita, 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 Advaita, Dvaita. Then again you will have Madhavacharyas, Nimbarkas, Ramanuja, all great people. <laughs> they were great. Discover something new. Find your own Vedanta which is there in the heart. The Veda will unfold in each one in a unique way. So there he is speaking of that. We must go back to the one thing needful. Take up again Christ's gospel of the purity and perfection of mankind, Muhammad's gospel of perfect submission, self-surrender and servitude to God. So, but look at that part, zealot. I mean, don't care. They are like, of course, this has a nuisance value. I mean, this is my time for prayer. And you know, <laughs> of course, when you the problem is when you compel others to follow it. Like you go to Dubai and you know, uh, it's all Ramzan, so you can't have anything to eat in the daytime. That's bad. But when you follow, you follow with that perfect submission and obedience. So he's picking up the good everywhere. Chaitanya's gospel of perfect love and joy of God in man. Ramakrishna's gospel of the unity of all religions and the divinity of God in man. And gathering all these streams into one mighty river. Later on he goes much beyond religion. So I suppose when he says that don't, you know, otherwise people will say, okay, I'll pick up a little bit of Christ, little bit of Muhammad. And, you know, I'm into integral yoga. But look at the power of this. And gathering all these streams into one mighty river, one purifying and redeeming Ganges, pour it over the death in life of a materialistic humanity. He calls materialistic humanity as a living dead. Death in life. They are alive. From a higher standpoint, dead. Why? Because there is no greater awareness, no greater seeking. Pour it over the death in life of a materialistic humanity as Bhagirath let down the Ganges and flooded with it the ashes of his fathers. 
so that there may be a resurrection of the soul in mankind and the satyuk for a while return to the world nor is this the whole object of the leela or the yoga and then finally he says something very powerful small is his work even if he succeeds who labors for his own salvation or the salvation of a few for many years i used to just take it out and put it in my it's so powerful small is his work even if he succeeds who labors for his own salvation or the salvation of a few infinitely great is his even if he fail or succeed only partially or for a season who lives only to bring about peace of soul joy purity and perfection among all mankind so we measure things with success and failure god measures them with the truth of our aspiration so this is the then there is there are number of such essays and one of them is where he gives the message of the east to the west is that only by finding himself can man be saved so at the same time the message of the west to the east is man also is god and it is through his developing manhood that he approaches the godhead so he says that just finding god within is not enough you must understand that man also is god and this this in europe this idea of humanitarianism lot of liberal thought is focused around that and he says both of them are true and you have to take both messages and unite them then there is a series of essays which were also published in the arya very very beautiful this superman and um, uh, this is basically he has three essays in that in the series uh, in the booklet i don't know now the book is available or not but uh, first is the superman the second is uh, all will and free will and the third is the delight of works and all these three are marvels but the superman he talks about two lines of human evolution so superman is beyond man so what who is superman so we can evolve around along the lines of the deva or we can evolve along along the lines of the titan both are beyond the human capacity look at ravana human beings were like toys to him even gods they were you know so what is the fundamental difference and here he gives very nice key to recognize so we have this story of asuras and unfortunately we saw them all you know with uh, you know um, uh, what is it horns some asuras can be very good looking i huh? don't go by looks very smart they can travel in very nice car come out sophisticated english tell you i am harvard <laughs> oh he cannot be asura asura to uncouth people who don't know how to wear if dress properly don't be mistaken by appearances huh? <laughs> ravana had a private jet <laughs> so <laughs> but this is how we have because we are fed by all this masala asura is doing all kinds of you know he and then he comes and you know you you paint an image that's not an asura they represent force of a certain kind without knowledge that is an asura he is the another side of god the left side and that's why when he falls what happens so god and titan deva and asura are indeed close kin in their differences nor could either have been spared in the evolution out of the animal asura comes first deva comes later in between deva and asura is man manava <laughs> so danava manava then deva then divya this is the process of evolution 
So he describes uh, the difference. The one descends from the light and the infinity, the Deva, satisfied to the play. The other ascends from the obscurity and the vagueness, angry to the struggle, always complaining, always grudging, always angry. If he has to find a reason to be angry. If everything is fine, still must be angry. So he always finds invariably something which he must revolt against because that's the nature of the Asura. All the acts of the God derive from the universal and tend to the universal. The gods. He was born out of a victorious harmony. The Deva. His qualities join pure and gracious hands and link themselves together naturally and with delight as in the pastoral round of Vrindavan. Divine Krishna dominating and holding together its perfect circle. So Deva nature is okay, come, 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 you come everybody together and find a beautiful circle around God. Asura, this is mine, how somebody else has come, this person. But I must be closer, I must... So by that he shuts himself from everything, from the universal. This is the fundamental difference between the Deva nature and the Asura. Deva loves to share and take the joy in that. Asura wants to just appropriate everything for himself. So this is where he says, To evolve in the sense of the God is to grow in intuition, in light, in joy, in love, in happy mastery. And now comes one of my favorite lines, To serve by rule and to rule by service. To be able to be bold and swift and even violent without hurt or wickedness. Only he can write in such masterly way. So Deva is not like uh, non-violent, okay, you do whatever. I, I will just uh, be bare-bodied, use a stick and... No, no. Deva can be royal, but without the trappings. Even he rules, but he will still serve. Serve all mankind, not like only a particular class of people I will serve. <laughs> so, he says, And Deva... Not only he can be and even violent without hurt or wickedness and mild and kindly and even self-indulgent without laxity or vice or weakness. He can be self-indulgent. Come, let's play. Mother, just imagine. I mean, people paint a picture. Oh, mother. Like, you know, in Carmel Convent, we had mother superior. But uh, they were generally, some of them were very nice. But uh, here you have picture, Mother. But you know what mother? Mother would play Ringa Ringa Roses in a room. Are you aware of that with children? All kinds of games she would play right in a room. And she said, I am much more natural. It's much more natural for me to express the divinity when there are children. So much they used to do literally udham. I mean, naughtiness and all that. One day, for years, decades, right below where there is a meditation room, children would jump, play. One day the mother comes and tells them, you know, this is Pavitra's sleeping hour if you can be little. Not for her or Sri Pavitra's sleeping hour. He is resting. This was, this is the divine. Self-indulgent. To an extent that even a sparrow and a cat, Sri would indulge. When a cat has jumped and sat on Sri chair and he is coming for the, those evening talks, he doesn't look at it and looks at the disciples, why you people didn't... Uh, Notice to anything. They know if they do this, they are the ones who are going to hear the lecture. Or just by smile he will indicate. So Shirobinda would sit on the side in a corner of the chair. And the cat is royally resting. 
and there is a sparrow on the ledge of the door and when Pooja Lalji is going inside, mother is stopping him, wait, 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 this. What is it, mother? There is a sparrow sitting on the door. Shubindu does not want you to disturb her. Sparrow. And he says, by mother's grace, I could finish the everything and come out. This is how the Lord sees God-like nature. Not like, do this for me, do that for me. So, to make a bright and happy whole in oneself and by sympathy with mankind and all creatures. And in the end, it is to evolve a large impersonal personality and to heighten sympathy into constant experience of world oneness. For such are the gods, conscious always of their universality and therefore divine. But what about the titan? Titan will have nothing of all this. It is too great and subtle for his comprehension. His instincts call for a visible, tangible mastery and a sensational domination. He must get a chair. And that's not enough. It must be sure that his command is followed. If he says something and you don't follow, you have the you are out of the kingdom. So this is the way of the Titan. How shall he feel sure of his empire? Look at the now the subtle satirical remark in this. Those who are really kings within, they don't care about sitting on a throne. <laughs> the king knows he is a king. Those who are powerful, they don't want people to bow down to them and to remind you that you are powerful. They are powerful. They know that if they ever <laughs> say something, that power released is a power, true power. Those who have the knowledge don't flaunt and keep going, you know who I am? How many talks, how many books? They have the knowledge. Knowledge makes you humble. Those who don't have these things want something external. So here he is reminding us, how shall he feel sure of his empire unless he can feel something writhing helpless under his heel? If in agony, so much the better. What is exploitation to him unless it diminishes the exploited? And people say that the beauty of the mother was every time people went and had a darshan of her. He says, you felt heightened and greatened. You went to surrender. You gave yourself. But you came back heightened. You came back free. It was, And go to a kind of beings. I know of uh, such beings who after they died, their disciples suddenly felt a release. Who just crushed them. And when they died, they felt suddenly as if they were released. Though during that time, they were completely under their influence. So this is the difference of a divine being. He doesn't crush you. To be able to coerce, exact, slay, overtly, irresistibly, it is this that fills him with the sense of glory and dominion. For he is the son of division and the strong flowering of the ego. To feel the comparative limitation of others is necessary to him that he may imagine himself immeasurable. So he is all the time comparing ambition. So that's why he is in agony. Because he'll always find, you know, I had a cardiologist walking into my room once and said, Doctor, I have a problem. He's also a doctor. So I said, yes, I mean, friends, just next door. What is the problem? He says, you know, every time I see a car, I feel like overtaking it. I said, okay, but not a big problem. Maybe you can sometimes overtake depending on the... He said, no, once I overtake it, then I see another car. And I want to overtake that car. You know, because this is the problem of, and that leads to so much depression. 
another person top executive he was asked ki you take a break and go for holiday few days and you'll be fine of your depression he came back even more depressed so then he contacted me i said kya hua he said i went on holiday i said that's cool so what happened he said no no there you know people were playing tennis so i thought chalo tennis that then i lost the game i said you are a holiday you are not on competition he said no no i couldn't bear it that i have lost the game look here he is on holiday but your nature follows you know you don't even know who has come they will go away it's not a competition it's just joy but you know i have lost the game so he came back even more worse that you know अभी तक तो कंपनी में ही प्रॉब्लम था आई प्रॉब्लम इन द कंपनी नाउ आई हैव इवन यू नो दिस गेम आई टू प्ले वेल नाउ सी आई हैव लॉस्ट सो दिस द वे ऑफ द असुरा फॉर ही हैज नॉट द रियल सेल्फ एग्जिस्टेंट सेंस ऑफ इन्फिनिटी विच नो आउटवर्ड सर्कमस्टांस कैन एब्रोगेट कंट्रास्ट डिविजन नेगेशन ऑफ द विल्स एंड लाइफ्स ऑफ अदर्स आर एसेंशियल टू हिज सेल्फ डेवलपमेंट एंड सेल्फ एसेशन सो ही इज द टाइटन वुड यूनिफाई टाइटन ऑल्सो वॉन्ट्स यूनिटी इफ यू आस्क इम यूनिटी बट हाउ the titan would unify by devouring not by harmonizing all of you must wear the same dress do the same thing no variation no you cannot be allowed anything other than now i don't want to talk more huh? because then <laughs> this essay on the <laughs> saying of napoleon sometimes the art of speaking is to say a lot without saying okay <laughs> to hold your words at the right moment <laughs> and let the silence speak anyway so when uh, there is an essay on free will and fate very beautifully in the very first line shrivindu summarizes it's a beautiful essay i won't uh, read the all of it but he says a saying of napoleon's is pregnant of the true truth of this matter question why since he talked continually of fate used to you know complete belief in fate he thought it worthwhile to be always thinking and planning because we often say no are you believe in fate you believe in god why should you plan why should you do anything that is so dangerous you are driven by nature to god knows where so then napoleon gave a very wonderful reply he answered with just reason because it is still fate who wills that i should plan this is the truth so fate is about you have to do your bit what will come your way is there but even you are built in a certain way and you will act according to your own true nature so dharma that you have to do so these are some of the essays at different points of time and then we have thoughts and glimpses like thoughts and aphorisms we have thoughts and glimpses i'll just read but they are so powerful and, uh, this will have a series by itself but just look at it what i cannot do now is the sign of what i shall do hereafter meaning thereby i have an aspiration to do something but i cannot do now but because i have aspired for it because i have faith that it can be accomplished one day i will do it as shubindu says in his one of his poems meditations of mandavya that i have a thirst and the thirst presupposes water somewhere but in this life i may never find but are not there a hundred lives before us i will not faint o oh god this should be the will the sense of impossibility is the beginning of all possibility so all these uh, aphorisms and all these are written in a way uh, as if self contradictory so here you have in this uh, this self contradictory thing reminds me of there is a whole series of 
number of essays on Heraclitus. Heraclitus was a Greek mystic. But nobody knew whether he was a mystic, he was a rationalist, he was a materialist, he was a spiritualist. <laughs> because he spoke in contradictions. And people didn't quite understand what he is. But he was a deep mystic. And Shurabindo has written series of essays only on Heraclitus. Because one Mr. Ranade wrote a book on it. Actually, it's Heraclitos or something like that. Hera comes from that, you know, the names in Greek. Hera is... The Zeus wife or something. She is a great goddess. So from there Heraclitus. So Heraclitus. So series of essays. So he used to write in ways that seemed contradictory. So you so Shivindu writes sometimes in a way to shock the mind, to open it up. Because this temporal universe was a paradox and an impossibility, therefore the eternal created it out of his being. Impossibility is only a sum of greater unrealized possibles. What is there new that we have yet to accomplish? New creation, new consciousness. Love, for as yet we have only accomplished hatred and self-pleasing. It's a work, works of love. Knowledge, for as yet we have only accomplished error and perception and conceiving. Bliss, for as yet we have only accomplished pleasure and pain and indifference. Power, for as yet we have only accomplished weakness and effort and a defeated victory. Life, for as yet we have only accomplished birth and growth and dying. Unity, for as as yet we have only accomplished war and association. Then this one, of course, two, three more. Those who are poor, ignorant, ill-born or ill-bred are not the common herd. Mark the word not only ill-born, ill-bred. The uncouth fellow, what we call in our superior, Dehati. Yes, Dehati. Look at his ways, his customs, his speech. So yes, we call them as they are, you know, no good. Help, then he says, the common herd are all those who are satisfied with pettiness and an average humanity. And actually this is so true. Tomorrow, in fact, I have a good reminder. There is a group of people who have come from a village. They can't even speak properly, you know. And they come every time. They come, they request. They give a call. So, bhaiya, please come and just sit. If you look at them, you will feel they are gypsies on the road. But they have such love and they want to grow. They don't even understand intellectually the meaning of these things, but they grasp it correctly. So we get so much carried away by all these appearances. Help men, but do not pauperize them of their energy. Lead and instruct men, but see that their initiative and originality remains intact. Take others into thyself. But give them in return the full Godhead of their nature. He who can do this is the leader and the guru. And then God has made the world a field of battle and filled it with the trampling of combatants and the cries of a great wrestle and struggle. Would you filch his peace without paying the price he has fixed for it? (laughs) You want to run away and sit in an ashram? You will quarrel in the ashram. You have to pay the price. This is the price he has fixed. This great world arena where world forces come and meet 
in a tremendous shock of battle where life and death are interwoven together face it fearlessly and then one is ready for the amrit you can't get amrit without being ready to drink the poison and finally gives the master key all would change if man could once consent to be spiritualized but his nature mental and vital and physical is rebellious to the higher law he loves his imperfection this is an uh, um, you know this part mother takes up in a whole conversation in 1957 uh, that all would change if man consents to be spiritualized this is the solution that should be the offers to mankind not changing governments all that is fine good but ultimately man could consent to be spiritualized and the final section which we can just touch upon is that there are uh, in this volume certain questions people ask shurbindo arya used to contain a column where news were also put up and then uh, there were uh, you know questions which were asked to shurbindo and he replied for instance when he was asked what is the synthesis needed at the present time he says undoubtedly that of man himself and he says the peculiar character he is diagnosing us the peculiar character of our age is the divorce that has been pronounced between reason and faith the logical mind and the intuitive heart so he says this must be synthesized and then of course he was asked that you know what is meditation the word arya i'll take it next time what exactly is meant by meditation and what should be its objects again if we read this letter we must remember this is before the mother's final coming later on when somebody asked him what meditation is he gives a different reply but here he says that um, the thinking mind is the instrument and you know how the thought by meditation we correct the restless wandering of the mind and train it like an athlete to economize all its energies and fix them on the attainment of some desirable knowledge or self discipline i think the first discipline is to learn to focus on whatever thought even if there is a discussion going on see how the mind runs at least to stay focused whatever is being to bring it back to that strand again and again so he speaks of all this and uh, then somebody had asked him this we'll read next time along with the uh, last bit of essays the supramental manifestation that after all you have called your journal arya so why it is called arya because arya is a word which was so much already misused for instance misrepresented uh, hitler spoke of the aryan races of course it was later on and he meant aryan blood you know he meant that aryan blood originally is the european blood and you know uh, that's how he spoke of the invasion people spoke of aryan invasion you know why aryan invasion theory was made because now britishers they are always trying to justify the conscience of the robber so how to justify so this you know what is new about our invading this land this land was already invaded long back aryans invaded it and they defeated the dravidians so it's the history of this land so we have also invaded it so an invaded land has been in, freshly invaded so we are not doing anything morally wrong so a whole aryan invasion theory and then aryan dravidian which now because of the political reasons people try to do it but the time has come that people understand that this is one of the one of the big myths that was created 
And now, of course, people believe it. There are a number of evidences that this is a false theory. Migration is a different thing, but there was no invasion. There were no signs of Aryan invasion. There was a time when humanity was migrating from everywhere. At that time, it was not Dravidians and Aryans. And people came from all over the world and they were moving around from Africa, from Europe. They were even fighting Neanderthals and what was that other species, subspecies. They fought. Poor Neanderthals lost. They were quite developed beings. And then this species came in. So this was happening all over the world. But invasion, the invasion that never was. There are lovely books now written on it. And based on um, archaeological um, Evidence based on satellite evidence, based on historical evidences, based on evidence from the Vedas, uh, secret of the Vedas starts with this, that there was no real Aryan invasion because, and with that we'll stop, the Aryan was not a physical type of humanity but a psychological type. Who really is an Aryan? It was a culture, it was a way of life that human beings who followed it were regarded as Aryans. And the term that was used was not Dravid, but Anarya. Anarya was those who followed the life of Swachandata. I'll do whatever I feel like. And those who were into self-discipline and you know growth of the divinity within them, they were Arya. Why? Because they were practicing Swatantrata. Self-mastery Swatantrata and being driven by desires here and there is Swachandata. This was the main distinction. And what was that path they followed and uh, what really is uh, the Aryan, maybe I can just in two minutes finish it because then we'll have. So he was asked, what is the word Arya? He says, it was, it came from the root Ar and the word Ar uh, signifies either the front part of a um, hull. What is it called? Ploughshare. Or the front part of a sword. So from there it came, they were Farmers and warriors. But he says, but like all these words, they carried a different meaning. The Aryan is a farmer because he ploughs the soil of his nature so that the divine seed within it blossoms into its fullness. And he is a warrior because he fights with the darkness and egoism within himself to liberate the Godhead who is imprisoned. This was the Aryan. And he speaks of the lot of wonderful things here. That who were the Aryans? They, in the Vedas, the Aryan people are those who had accepted a particular type of self-culture, of inward and outer practice, of ideality, of aspiration. In later times, the word Arya expressed a particular ethical and social ideal, an ideal of well-governed life, candor, courtesy, nobility, straight dealing, courage, but along with courage, gentleness, purity, humanity, compassion, protection of the weak, liberality. We don't need that, you know, all this hocus pocus liberality. The Aryan culture is very liberal, but in a deepest sense. This, everything is grounded in dharma, not at the cost. This liberality is not like, I will lead my life whatever way I want. There was a self-discipline in culture. Eagerness for knowledge. Respect for the wise and learned, the social accomplishments. It was the combined ideal of the Brahmana and the Kshatriya. Everything that departed from this ideal, everything that tended toward the ignoble, mean, obscure, rude, 
cruel or false was termed an aryan and he says with that sentence we'll stop there is no word in human speech that has a nobler history no word in human speech that has a nobler history namaste